Our scripture reading this morning you will find in the Gospel according to Luke, Luke chapter 10. I will begin the reading at verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to, to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think? proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go, you go, and do likewise. So far, the reading of God's holy word. Our text for this morning you will find in the passage which was read from Luke chapter 10, the verses 36 and 37. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend I will repay, when you, uh, repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the other robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Beloved congregation, the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the Medical Mission Sisters, a Roman Catholic singing group back in the 70s, I believe, who popularized this parable of Jesus with their song, Who is my neighbor? 
The refrain of their song was very catchy. Who is my neighbor? Who claims my word and deed? Anyone in need. Anyone in need. And many people hearing that said, yes, yes, that's it. Those songsters have caught the thrust of Jesus' word here. The question I want to raise in this sermon is this one. Is that so? What do you think? Have the medical mission sisters really caught the thrust of Jesus' word? What is it Jesus says here in this parable? The parable of the compassionate Samaritan is very familiar. That could be dangerous, of course. We think we know it already. Clearly, we say, clearly Jesus is talking about loving the neighbor. He is talking about a willingness to help others to do that spontaneously. And anyone who wants to know who the neighbor is, well, he must know that neighbor is anyone in need. Whether that be the widow living next door, or a person living in a refugee camp thousands of miles away, or indeed the persecuted church worldwide. Well, let's read the story together. There was a lawyer, says Luke, who came to Jesus. It's important that we pay attention to him first of all. Remember, the parable Jesus tells here is told in response to his encounter with that lawyer. And Luke means to call our attention to the significance of that encounter. And behold, writes Luke, as you may know, Luke had used that same word, behold, also in chapter 2. Remember? For behold, I bring you good news of a great joy. The word behold, you see, is an attention getter. It wants to alert the reader to listen carefully now. What follows is of great importance, it says, so you must pay careful attention. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. You hear it. This expert on the law is not at all concerned about the law here. He is not asking Jesus to help him to understand the Torah better. The motivation for his question is to put Jesus to the test. His concern was, let me see once if I can trip Jesus up one way or another. Of course, that doesn't take away the fact that his question is an important question. Teacher, he asks, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? When you think about that for a moment, you recognize that that is an altogether different question than the sort of questions that captivate people's attention today. 
Today, everything centers on the here and now. Today, people look for satisfaction and for gratification and for pleasure for this very moment. Today, you will find few people for whom the question of eternal life holds much, if any, at interest at all. Today, they say what was already said in the days of Paul. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And the question is real and urgent. What about us? What sort of attention do we give to it? Or are we also so caught up in the hustle and bustle of the life of this present moment that the question of eternal life is really lost out of sight, is ignored by us? See, there are many critical things that can rightly be said about that lawyer. His motivation for asking his question certainly was far from good. But, but you cannot deny the fact that for this lawyer, this expert on the Torah, the question of eternal life was a most important question. He struggled with it every day. Eternal life, how do I get it? It was the question that concerned every pious Jew. But now, Jesus answers the lawyer in a typical Jewish fashion. He answers him by asking him a question in return, a question he could have expected, anticipated. What is written in the law, he asks. How do you read it? Lawyer, says Jesus, you've got to check with the book. What does the book say? After all, the law is the foundation. How, Mr. Lawyer, how do you read the blueprint which the Lord God himself provided? Or, to change the analogy, how, Mr. Lawyer, how do you read the road map of your God? Ah, you see, that is a tremendously important question which Jesus here raises. We all have our Bibles, right? We all know more or less what, our, what some of our favorite passages say. Or don't we? Has it ever struck you how often people quote a Bible passage without really paying attention to its context? For example, people readily say, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Who said that? And in, in what context was it said? All kinds of erroneous ideas float around because people think that they have read it in the Bible. Ah, oh, you see, it is important that we become careful students of the Word. We do well to heed Jesus' Word to that lawyer. How do you read it? 
the law, the word of God. The lawyer had asked, what must I do? And Jesus effectively said to him, go back to the source, man, read the word. And the lawyer did just that. Hear him. He now quotes the law. He quotes Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. That's the passage about loving the Lord with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he quotes from Leviticus 19, 18, the passage about loving the neighbor. And Jesus, Jesus agrees with the lawyer. You have answered correctly, says Jesus. Do this. And you will live. That. That is an amazing answer. We had not really expected it. Jesus and that lawyer. Said the exact same thing. But how? How was that possible? How could Jesus be saying the same thing. As that lawyer the lawyer has said that the pathway to life eternal is one of doing, is one of keeping the law, the Torah. And Jesus says to him, Right on, man, do that, and you will live. Love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. And see, that does surprise us, right? But it shouldn't, because the lawyer was right. That is exactly what the law says. Do this, and you shall live, says the law of the Lord. But, but what about grace, then? Doesn't the Bible say, by grace you are saved? It is a gift of God? Sure it does. But you can't ignore or deny that the Savior says to the lawyer, Here, do this and you will live. See, Jesus most certainly agrees with the lawyer about the pathway to life eternal. But about Jesus and the lawyer disagree. Ah yes, they radically disagree on the next question. Can a person in fact do that? Can he? Can we? Can you Fulfill the law of the Lord. Jesus says, no way you can. There is not a person in all the world who can do the law, who never fails, who never stumbles, who does it 100%, 24-7. After all, the obedience which the Lord requires of us, remember, 
It must be perfect. It must in every way measure up to the divine law. Do it, says Jesus. Love the Lord wholeheartedly and you will live. Jesus says that because the Bible says that. Because God himself says that. But our Jesus knows also that we cannot do it. He knows that we stumble and fall. Yes, he knows that we fail every day. But, but the lawyer doesn't agree. The lawyer effectively says, I can do that. And you may recall the rich young ruler had the same idea. As a matter of fact, he had said it in so many words, all these I have kept from my youth. But Jesus says, you can't pull it off. You will fail every time. Oh yes, Jesus agrees on the road, on the pathway that leads to life. After all, it is the pathway which the Lord God himself had revealed. The lawyer had correctly quoted the scripture. But Jesus exposes here what Paul would later call the weakness of the law. Jesus, you see, knew that there was only one who can fulfill the law. Jesus knew that he alone would, in fact, do the law. He knew that he must die on a cross in order to satisfy the righteous demands of God's law. And on that cross, he would pray, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And also, from that cross, he will proclaim, It is finished. It is accomplished. It, the law's demands, it is fulfilled. But the lawyer didn't understand that. Not at all. The lawyer understood only one thing. I have made a downright fool of myself. So, in an attempt to save the day for himself, that's what Luke means when he says, desiring to justify himself. I ask in an attempt to save the day for himself, he asked Jesus another question. And who is my neighbor? Apparently, that was an important question, a question much discussed in those days. Who really is my neighbor? Is it only he who belongs 
to us, to our people, to our community, to our culture? Or does it mean everyone? For the Jew, the answer to that question was clear and obvious. Neighbor, he said. Why, that is the fellow Jew. Neighbor, that is everyone who belongs to the covenant community. And everyone else is a stranger. Everyone else is a Gentile. Everyone else really was enemy. And so the lawyer asked his self-justifying question. Who is my neighbor? Then, that is, in that context, then Jesus tells the parable of the compassionate Samaritan. There are two things to be kept in mind as you now listen to the story Jesus told. First of all this, Jesus is indeed answering the question, who is my neighbor? And in the second place, Jesus explains why it is that the lawyer is so very wrong when he thinks that he can really do the law and thereby inherit, earn eternal life. The story Jesus told was easy for everyone listening to Jesus to follow. They could picture it exactly. A man, says Jesus, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Well now, that is exactly how it was and is. You see, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is about 30 kilometers long, and it runs steadily downhill. Jerusalem is about 800 meters above sea level, and Jericho is 225 meters below sea level. And they all knew that it was a desolate, a treacherous road. They knew that, among others, the zealots, the guerrillas of that day, were holed up in the hills along that road. Yes, they knew that those zealots supported their guerrilla efforts by attacking and robbing those who passed by. And yes, they knew about that inn. I was told that it is still there today. No doubt, the Jews hearing this story could visualize the whole thing. They could also understand why the man was not killed. After all, if the attackers were zealots, why then they were fellow Jews, fellow Israelites, who were interested not in their victim's life, but in his goods, so that they could support 
their cause. They stripped him, said Jesus. And apparently because he offered some resistance, they beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. Oh, everyone would understand that this man had been to Jerusalem, to the temple. There he had, like Zechariah, performed the temple ministry. He had performed the sacrifice. He had pronounced also the blessing of the Lord upon the people of the Lord. And now, spiritually refreshed, now he was returning to his home in Jericho, where many priests lived in those days. It had been a wonderful experience for this priest to minister in the sanctuary and to pronounce the Lord's blessing upon his people, the children of the covenant. This priest, why he is like the minister, returning home from the worship service. For the minister too, the worship service is the most important part of his work. The priest saw him, says Jesus, and he passed by on the other side. Why? What could possibly have been his reason? Was he afraid for himself? Was the priest afraid for his own hide? Was he afraid that if he stopped, he too might be attacked? Or, or was the priest thinking about the law? Was he telling himself, you can't stop, you're a priest. If you were to come into contact with a dead man, or if the man were to die in your arms, why then you would be unclean. Then for the longest time, you would be disqualified for the priestly ministry. Oh yes, and then you could ha- would have to undertake a long process of ceremonial cleansing. Was that his reasoning? Did he want to remain clean, pure, holy? We don't know. And the fact is, Jesus doesn't describe any kind of motivation at all. For the simple reason that there was no valid motivation possible. After all, the priest was called to minister unto life. Then a Levite passed by. If the priest is comparable to the minister of the word who has just uh, conducted the worship service, see, then it can be said that the Levite is the elder or the deacon who has participated in that service. He, he has offered his sacrifice of praise to the Lord, and he has received the Lord's blessing. <coughs> and so he too, spiritually uplifted, 
and refreshed. He too is on his way home. And yes, he too, when he sees that man lying on the road, pass by on the other side. But look, there's another traveler. Now this is not the man in the pew. As a matter of fact, this man is not even a member of the church. He is a Samaritan. In the eyes of the Jew, a heretic. He certainly had no part in the salvation of the Lord, they said. This man was a traveler. Remember, the priest and the Levite were on their way home. This man, however, was heading away from home. But Jesus says, this Samaritan, when he saw him, he had compassion. Do you know what it literally says? Something like this. When he saw him, it grabbed him in his gut. In other words, he was deeply moved with compassion. We would say his heart went out to the man. And he cared for him. He bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. You understand? See, the man took out and used his first aid kit. The wine served as an antiseptic and the oil would have a soothing effect on the wounds. And then this Samaritan set the man on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. You can't help but be struck by the business-like way the man did things. There's no sentimentalism here, and there is no, there's no, nothing that was done in excess here. The man made arrangement for payment. He gave the innkeeper the equivalent of two days' wages and assured him that any additional expense would be taken care of when he returned. There is not a word here about how those two got along later on. There's not even a word here about thanks. The story simply ends. And all are agreed. It was a beautiful story. And when the question is then asked, what does it mean? Why then the ready answer is, a man. A man saw his neighbor, a person in desperate need, and he helped him. And then the conclusion is obvious. Who is my neighbor? Oh, that is not only the one who belongs to your own people, to your own kind, to your own clan, Oh no, but neighbor, a neighbor is also your enemy. And the lawyer, the man who had asked the question of Jesus, could not have could not have missed a point, right? And then we turn for proof to the Sermon on the Mount, and we say, Oh yes, it all fits together. Did not Jesus say there in his Sermon on the Mount, 
But I say to you, love your enemies? Well then, doesn't that settle it? But there's one problem. See, Jesus does not say that here. As a matter of fact, Jesus points in an altogether different direction here. Listen carefully now to the question Jesus asked of the lawyer. Which of these three do you think proved neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Literally, he asks, who do you think became neighbor? And now hear the answer of the lawyer. He said, the one who showed mercy to him. The one who showed mercy to that Samaritan. Did you hear? The neighbor in the story is not the victim over there. It is not the man lying on the road. It is not the one in need. But neighbor, a neighbor is he who offered help. We tend to think of neighbor as object. The neighbor is he who stands over against me, near or far away, who needs my, who needs your help. But Jesus says, not so. Neighbor is subject. Neighbor is he who helps. What Jesus says here is this. You can become a neighbor by offering your help. In other words, the idea of neighbor is not a static something for Jesus. Anyone out there in the big world of needy ones. But it is a dynamic thing. You, we, you must become neighbor again and again. Because neighbor, our neighbor is not the person to whom you show compassion. Rather, neighbor is the one who shows compassion to you. Or neighbor is you when you show compassion. And then you understand that this story has an altogether different thrust. Jesus, remember, is still talking to that lawyer. The lawyer had asked, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And the lawyer, remember, how the lawyer thought that he himself could fulfill the law unto life. But Jesus says to the lawyer, you, you are that man lying on the road. You are the one who is in desperate need. And you and that, that is what Jesus says to us, to all of us today. 
Ah, you see, the thinking of that lawyer is not really so foreign to us, is it? Who, after all, who wants to admit that he can't make it on his own? You can be sure the lawyer had tried earnestly, desperately. He had tried to walk the pathway of life unto life. And he thought, ah yes, he thought that he could make it. But he couldn't. He could not make it. And we... See, we cannot make it either. No one can make it on his own. Jesus knew that. Ah, yes, Jesus knew that that lawyer could not do that, nor anyone else for that matter. See, that's the point. Jesus wants to drive home to that lawyer. Oh yes, says Jesus to that lawyer. Yes, I know that you have tried. But the fact is, you are the one lying on the road, half dead. You need a helper. You need a compassionate Samaritan. And then you understand it. In this story, Jesus is talking about himself. He is portraying himself as the compassionate Samaritan. As a matter of fact, the word compassion is used only and exclusively of Jesus in the Gospels. Again and again, you read in the Gospels, that Jesus had compassion on them, on the crowds. Well now, only when Jesus is seen as the compassionate Samaritan, only then and so can you avoid turning this story into a touching, humanitarian, do-good-and-you're-all-right kind of story. Because only when it is seen that Jesus is himself, that Samaritan, do those last words of Jesus make sense. Jesus said to the lawyer, go and do likewise. See, when that word of Jesus is cut off from him, the compassionate Samaritan, then what you have left is a humanistic credo. Be good to your neighbor. And any Jew, as well as any self-respecting Dutchman, would agree. And see, then Jesus would, after all, be saying... You can, by keeping this word, by being kind to your neighbor, you can work your own way into, that is, you can assure yourself of a place in heaven by your works. But Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say here, do this. 
and you shall live. Jesus says, come to me and you shall live. Because he, he is the only one, the only way to life. Remember, Jesus is the compassionate Samaritan. He walked in the pathway of the law. He fulfilled all righteousness. He is the one who binds the wounds. He is the one who is the, who is our helper. He is the one who is full of compassion at our every need. And he says to us, who by faith in him have become and are therefore already heirs of the gift of life, he says to us, you, my children, you must go and do likewise. That is, you must be imitators of me, your Savior, your Lord. You, I ask, you must become a neighbor. You must become a helper again and again to all who are in need. You must show them the Savior who became your helper, your neighbor, even unto the death of the cross. See, there your Savior and Lord, your neighbor. Praise the Lord. Amen.